By the power of your Holy Spirit, we ask you in Jesus' name. Amen. Good to be with you, church. My name is Halim Suh. I serve as one of the pastors and elders here at The Stone. We've been working our way through the Lord's Prayer, found in Matthew chapter 6. And as you've heard it read to us, it's relatively a short prayer, but we've been looking at it very slowly, right? We've been looking at it line by line. Yes, in hopes that it would increase our understanding of what prayer is, but so much more than that, that week after week as we're confronted by how Jesus taught us to pray, that it would actually cause us to start praying, right? That's the goal of our our eight weeks together, looking at the Lord's Prayer, not so that we could increase in our theology of prayer, but so that we can increase in our practice of prayer, that we'd actually start praying, that we, it would encourage us to pray more and that the Lord's Prayer would instruct us to pray differently. And it's been so encouraging to hear all the stories of how God has been using this in our church, how God has been using the Lord's Prayer to transform the way that we've been praying. Looking at how Jesus taught us to pray has been incredible. It's personally been fueling and transforming the way that I pray. One of the ways that it's been doing that is that every time I go to pray, I've been founding, finding myself anchoring my prayers on the prayers that Jesus taught us to pray. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 10, it says this, pray then like this. What's the first thing? Our Father, right? And so every time I start my prayer, I say, Father. And I really try to pause, really try to think the fact that I'm speaking to my Father. Father, I... Thank you that you're my father, and because you are my father, I know that right now you're bending your ear down to me, and you're paying attention. You care about the things that I have to say. You care about me, and you're wanting to spend time with me because you're my father. And then what? Our father, not just our father, but our father who art in heaven, right? Father, thank you that you are my father and you're near to me and you're intimate with my ways. But at the same time, I want to recognize right now that you're not just my father who is near to me, but you're my God who is in heaven and you're transcendent and you're supreme and you rule and you reign and your ways are not my ways and your thoughts are above my thoughts. And then what? Hallowed be thy name. Father, because you're a father unlike any other father because you're a God unlike any other gods. I pray that your name would be hallowed in my life today. I pray that your name would be exalted in and through our church today. And what's the next line? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, I want your name to be hallowed and exalted in my life as I live today in the pursuit of your kingdom not my own little kingdom. Who cares about my own little kingdom, God? I want your kingdom to come. I want to spend my life today in the pursuit of what you desire, not what I desire. Your will be done, not my will. And what's the next line? Matthew 6, 11. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. What's that prayer all about? Well, that's what we're going to be talking about today. This this simple prayer. Father, give us today Our daily bread is jam-packed with awesome truth. And so as we look at this prayer, give us this day our daily bread. Let's ask three questions. Number one, why do we pray this prayer? Why should we pray for daily bread? Number two, how should we pray for daily bread? And number three, what is this bread? 
Why should we pray for daily bread? How should we pray for daily bread? And lastly, what is this bread? And so the first question, why should we pray for daily bread? First, praying this prayer enables us to repent from our self-centered worldview. We're taught to pray, give us this day, our daily bread, right? Not give me this day, my daily bread. In so many ways, our worldview is so centered around me and what I want and what I need. And so as long as I have food, as long as my physical needs are met, we don't feel any need to pray this prayer. I mean, when's the last time that you prayed and asked God that he would provide for you your next meal? Right? When's the last time you prayed that? I'm not talking about the last time you prayed thanking God for your food. When's the last time you prayed asking God for your next meal, right? We might be praying, Lord, please help me not to eat my next meal, right? For the love of everything that's holy, please help me to skip a few meals, right? (laughs) But when's the last time we prayed, God, will you provide for me my next meal? As Christians living in the U.S. today, this praying and asking for bread isn't something we do because we think, oh, I'm good. My fridge, my fridge is full. Why would I need to ask for that? Even why, God, why bother God with such prayers, right? But Jesus is instructing us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. In other words, as long as there's a brother or sister in Christ out there in need of food, in need of clothing, in need of shelter, And that is the case, by the way, right? Today, as we speak, there are brothers and sisters in Christ around the world who will not eat today. As long as that's the case, we pray, Father, I know that there are brothers and sisters in Christ who will be without food today. Will you please provide for them? Will you please provide for their needs? Praying this prayer shakes us out of the self-obsession that we have, even when it comes to God providing for us. So much of what we ask for is that God would give. God would give us. God would give us more. For who? For us, right? And that is exactly what we assume when God does give us more. But perhaps God is giving us more, not for us, but for others. The problem is that when God gives us more, we assume that it's for us, right? I'm not saying God doesn't provide for things in your life beyond your necessities, beyond your needs. I'm saying that the problem is when God does give us more, we automatically assume that it's for us. We don't stop to consider. Psalm 41 says, blessed is the one who considers the poor. Blessed is the one who considers the poor. When God provides us more than we need, are we considering the poor? Or are we only considering ourselves? It should deeply concern us. It should deeply concern us that there should be anyone in the world today that will go without food. How much should it concern us? We should be concerned to the point that it makes us pray. And we should be praying to the point that it makes us move into action. Because for how long, right, think about this, for how long could you keep up with praying this prayer every day? Father, will you provide for those who don't have food today before you stop and ask yourself, think to yourself, oh, I have a full belly today. Oh, I have more than enough for myself today. Perhaps the way in which God is going to meet those needs is through me. Perhaps God is giving me extra, not just for me, but for others. That's why we need need this prayer so desperately, as it makes us repent from our self-centered worldview. 
Another reason why we should pray this prayer is that it enables us to escape out of this delusion that we provide for ourselves and that we meet our own needs. It enables us to escape out of the delusion that we have money in our bank accounts and we can go out to eat and we can pay for our groceries out of our own abilities. But the prayer says, give us this day our daily bread, right? Who's the giver? Who's the provider? The assumption is if the Father doesn't give it, we don't have it, right? Give us this day our daily bread isn't just a desperate prayer of the beggar. It's a repenting prayer for all of us who are so prone to believe that God is not the source for meeting our every need. It's a repenting prayer for all of us who forget that we are utterly and desperately dependent upon God to give us everything, everything. And some of us are saying, what do you mean? I work hard for my money. I work hard to provide for myself and, and my family. Yes, you work hard, but... Who gave you the health? Who gave you the energy to work hard? Yes, you might be working hard, but who gave you the mind to be able to think and to make good decisions? Let's go beyond that. As you sit here and as you're breathing air, who's supplying for you your air to breathe? Could you work hard without breath? Who causes the sun to rise and the rain to fall and the food to grow so that with our money we have food to purchase? See, the Bible is not exaggerating when it says he gives us life and breath and everything. The Bible tells us Jesus upholds all things by the word of his power. Did you know that even for a millisecond, if he would cease to stop thinking of you, that you would cease to exist? How do you know God cares for you? How do you know he's thinking about you? Because you're here. If even for a moment he would forget about you, you would cease to exist. We owe him our everything. In him we have life and breath and have our being. Everything that we have, including the very basics of what we need to live, we don't provide for ourselves. It's not because we've earned it in any way. It's all grace. It's all provision. He's the giver. You remember back in Exodus when God fed his people with manna in the wilderness for 40 years? If you remember the story, they were sinning, they were grumbling, making all sorts of accusations against God, making a golden calf and worshiping it. But every morning, without fail, for 40 years, God was leading his people into the promised land and he was giving them manna to eat, literally bread down from heaven in the midst of the desert. Exodus 16, verse 3. And the people of Israel said to them, would that he had died, would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. And this is God's response. Then the Lord said to Moses, behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you. Notice it's in this very moment as the Israelites were complaining and accusing God that he brought them out of Egypt, he brought them out of their slavery to ultimately kill them, that God says he's going to provide for them food, rain down bread from heaven. Exodus 16 is also about bread. It's a parallel to our story of how God gives us daily bread even though we don't deserve it. We see the Israelites fail and disobey over and over and over again, but look at verse 35. The people of Israel ate the manna 40 years. 
The people of Israel ate the manna for 40 years till they came to a habitable land. They ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. Think about this. For 40 years, without fail, every morning, God provides his people with manna. God's people keep sinning. They keep rebelling, but morning by morning, God keeps giving them bread as if to say, let's try again today. Let's try again today. Morning by morning, new mercies. When the Israelites sinned, think about it. When the Israelites sinned, I mean, after they grievously sinned, I mean, the morning after they had just bowed down and worshiped a golden calf, I wonder if they woke up the next morning convinced that the manna would not be out there. Right? Think about that morning. Just worship the golden calf, and you wake up and it hits you. I wonder if the food's there this morning, right? I'm messed up now. How are we going to eat? Surely the manna isn't out there this morning. And I wonder how many times they gathered the manna with tears flowing down from their eyes, saying to themselves, he's still faithful. He's still faithful. After that, after what I did, he's still faithful. How many times, I wonder, were they driven to repentance, not because of the consequences of their sins, but because of the kindness of the daily manna? And so it is with us. How many times have we failed him? Grievously failed him even. But God continues to offer us patience and grace and forgiveness over and over and over again. And one of the smallest and one of the most tangible of ways that we can know that God is doing that is because the morning after you failed, the morning you woke up, there was what? There was breakfast. Right? How many times have we failed How many times have you rebelled and sinned against him? Perhaps right now you're in the biggest season of rebellion against God. But every morning when you wake up, there's what? There's food. There's bread. Do you think about your daily bread in this way? Daily provision of God's kindness towards you. Without it, you wouldn't live. In the midst of your rebellion even, the daily kindness of food, the daily kindness of breakfast on your table as if to say, let's try again today. Let's try again today. Morning by morning, new mercies. Why do we need to ask God for daily bread? Because we're saying, God, all that I have, I have because of grace. Even the smallest piece of bread, I did not provide it for myself, but you gave it out of your grace. And because I didn't earn it, because it's by your grace, I have the responsibility of considering not just myself, but those who are in need. I have an obligation to consider the poor. I have an obligation to consider the poor and the persecuted brothers and sisters in Christ around the world. That's why. The second question, how should we pray for bread? How should we be praying for our daily bread? The key to answering this question is realizing where this prayer is placed within the larger context of how Jesus is teaching us how to pray. Praying and asking God for our daily bread is the first prayer where we get to ask God for something for ourselves. And some of us are like, finally, we get to ask God for something, right? But notice, Jesus didn't say, pray in this way, give us this day our daily bread. That's not what he did, right? He didn't say, this is how you pray, give us this day our daily bread. How did he do it? He said, pray in this way. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. 
Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Then, then give us this day our daily bread. In other words, what Jesus is teaching us here is that we mustn't immediately run to give me prayers. He's teaching us that in prayer, we have to work through all these other things first. And up until this point, we might be tempted to think that prayer is actually only about God, praying for his name to be hallowed, praying for his kingdom to come, praying for his will to be done. And so does praying include asking God for the things that we need? Yes, absolutely. But it has to be rightly ordered, you see. Only after praying a prayer of thanksgiving for God being our Father. Only after we pray a prayer of adoration for his name to be hallowed in our lives. Only after we pray a prayer of praise for his kingdom to come. Only after we pray a prayer of submission, Father, not my will, but yours be done. I don't want what I want, I want what you want. Only then can we begin to have a proper perspective of the things that we actually need, the things that we actually ought to ask for. How should we pray for bread? By placing it in the right order, in the right priority. The problem for many of us is that petitionary prayer, this give me prayer, is all that we know how to do, right? So much of prayer that we know of is just asking God for stuff. You know how on iPhones they started pinging you lately with weekly reports of how you spent your time on your phone? This week you spent 30 minutes on productivity apps. This week you spent 30 hours on Instagram, right? What if you were somehow able to take your last 10 prayers and categorize it, right? Okay, that part right there was a prayer of adoration. That part right there was a prayer of submission. That was Thanksgiving. Those were petitionary prayers. If you were able to get a report of how long you spent on each type of prayer, what would your report look like? I wonder what percentage of our prayers is taken up and dominated by give me prayers. This is why we get so angry with God sometimes, and some of us have even given up on prayer altogether because our prayers are by and large dominated by our asking God for certain things, and when he doesn't give it, we get angry, we get bitter, we we lose hope, but if our asking God is first submitted, If our asking God for things is first submitted under our prayers for his name to be hallowed, for his kingdom to come, if our asking of God is first submitted under his will being done, and then we get a no from God, and then we get a no from God, then we're able to say, okay, God is saying no to this prayer, but it must be because I prayed for his name to be hallowed. And so surely God's going to get more glory from me not receiving this than me receiving it. Or God is saying no to this, but it must be because my asking for this was really more about the building up of my own kingdom rather than his kingdom coming. And so I need to pray even more, Father, not my will, but yours be done, right? But some of you may be saying, what about all those places in the Bible where it says, you have not because you ask not? What about all the places in the Bible where it says, whatsoever, whatsoever you ask in my name, I will give you. What about all those promises that God makes that no good thing does he withhold? I thought prayer was supposed to be this powerful thing that we go to God with all sorts of requests and he answers us and he gives it to us. What we see in the way that Jesus taught us how to pray is that, yes, prayer is powerful. Yes, it's powerful, but it's not just powerful. It's powerfully good. And power isn't even the goal. The goal of prayer isn't power. The goal of prayer is relationship. The goal of prayer isn't getting the stuff that we want. The goal of prayer is getting God. 
as Heavenly Father. If someone asked your child, what's the goal of you talking to your parents? How would you feel if they said, the goal of me talking to my parents is just get stuff that I want, right? How heartbreaking would that be? Because you see, having Aladdin's lamp, for example, Aladdin's lamp, it would be powerful, right? Having a genie bound to grant you all of your wishes, it would be powerful. But would it be good? Would it be good? Well, it all depends on the one who's making the wishes, right? Pastor Tim Keller gives this illustration that if you saw a five-year-old with an Aladdin's lamp, and he's just rubbing on the lamp, and you see this genie pop out, right? If you saw this happening, what would you do? What would you do? Well, I would just run away as far away as possible. Why? Because I have no idea what this crazy kid is going to ask for. He might be asking for the world's worst things, right? Genie, whatever I touch, turn into chocolate, right? So a five-year-old can't handle Aladdin's lamp, but what about a 10-year-old? Well, my daughter, Evie, she's 10. If she had access to Aladdin, she would wish for all of her brothers to disappear. And so that's not good either. Well, what about a 15-year-old? What would a 15-year-old ask for? It's probably inappropriate to say out loud the things that a 15-year-old would ask for, so let's move on. Aha, but you say, but a 25-year-old, right? 25-year-old, that's when you have life figured out and you wouldn't ask for bad things anymore, amen, 25-year-olds? That's the 35-year-old snicker, right? Because when you're 25, you say, oh, what an idiot I was when I was 15, but now I know, right? And then when you turn 35, you say, oh, what an idiot I was when I was 25, but now I know. And when you're 45, you go on and on and on, and what's the point? The point is that even according to yourself, you're always an idiot. (laughs) We could never be wise enough to handle a genie in a lamp, and that's not what prayer is. Instead, prayer is an invitation into a relationship with your heavenly Father. So does that mean it's not powerful? No, in fact, prayer is so powerful that we need a safety net. It's so powerful that we need a safety net, and that safety net is that we're praying to our Father, our Father who is in charge rather than a genie who is bound to our every wish and command. And like every good parent knows, our Heavenly Father knows that it's not good, it's not wise to say yes to everything your kid would ask for. Why? Because your kids are going to ask for stupid stuff, right? But you see what good parents do when your child asks you for even foolish things is that a good parent doesn't say, don't ask me for that. Of course my answer is no. How in the world would you ask me for that? That's not what a good parent does. That's what I do sometimes, but that's not what a good parent does. A good parent listens to the proposal, even foolish ones, and they discern the need underneath the ask, right? They discern the desire of the heart and the actual need of the child. If your kid for the 10th time of the day is asking if they could play on their iPad, if they could play Xbox, even after you told them no screens for the day, we're so tempted to say, what did I tell you? Go away. The answer is no, right? But if you stop and discern what the actual need is underneath the request, perhaps you'd be able to see that their actual need is loneliness. And so you're able to say, Buddy, no to the screen, but how about we go outside and throw the football around, right? Richard Sibbs, an old Puritan, once said that if you go to God, he will always give you the value of what you're asking for, but not always in kind. 
That he will always give you the value of what you're asking for, but not always in kind. You might go to him for $1,000 worth of gold, but he might give you $1,000 worth of diamonds. He was saying that our God will always give us the value of what we're asking for, but not always in the way that we're asking for it. That he'll meet the true need underneath the ask, but not always the ask itself. Growing up, my dad was a pastor, and and. My mom and my dad, just after years and years and years of faithful but stressful and grueling years of ministry, just as they were just beginning to talk about what the last season of ministry would look like, um, just when they were beginning to talk about what retirement would look like, right, after so many hard years, we found out my mom was diagnosed with cancer. And so I remember praying to God desperately, God, will you please heal her? Will you please heal her, God? After so many years of stress and the laboring, will you grant her some years of rest, of being able to go on vacations, of being able to hold grandbabies, right? The value of what I was asking for was that she would find rest. And the way in which I wanted God to answer that prayer was by healing her. About four years ago, I found myself praying the same prayer, and this time with my dad diagnosed with cancer. God answered both of those prayers. And he gave me the value of what I was asking, but in different ways. My mom passed away 11 years ago. She's with King Jesus now, resting in ways I can't even imagine. And just this last week, we received my dad's final CT scan, and it showed clear. He's clear of cancer. He, too, is going to be able to rest, right? But not yet in the presence of King Jesus. He's going to be able to instead join us on family vacations and play with grandkids, which isn't so restful, but it's good, okay? (laughs) You see, in a sense, God always answers prayers. He's always listening. He's always discerning the true need underneath our requests, and in the wisest of ways, he's answering, and this doesn't mean that we'll always understand. There are things that he says no to that we can't possibly imagine. Why, God, are you saying no to this? We're not going to understand. And we get so angry. And the reason why we're getting angry, we have to realize, is that because we're saying, Father, Heavenly Father, you have the power, right? You have the power to do something about this. You have the power to change this. You have the power to do this for me. Why aren't you? What we have to realize is that we're recognizing the power of our Heavenly Father, but are we at the same time recognizing the wisdom of our Heavenly Father? to be able to truly discern what we're asking for, to be able to see the need, the true actual need underneath the request and answer in the wisest of ways. Are we trusting in his wisdom also? Pastor Tim Keller says this about prayer, which I love. He says, God always gives you what you would have asked for if you knew everything he knows. God always gives you what you would have asked for if you knew everything he knows. It's simply saying he's wiser wiser than us. That's why he says no sometimes. We're asking God to do this one thing, right? God, will you do this one thing? But we have to realize he's doing 10,000 things all the time. One day we'll see. One day we'll see why. And one day we will fully agree. And one day we will praise him for the decision that he made. 
That day is coming. Until then, we trust. The beauty and the power of prayer is not that we have a genie and a lamp that will give us anything that we ask. The beauty and the power of prayer is that we have a heavenly Father who discerns our requests and rightly gives us what we actually need. And so the first question, why should we pray for our daily bread? Because it helps us realize our utter dependence on God for our everything and helps us remember others who are in need. And the second question, why should we pray for our daily bread? We should submit all all of our asking under the headship of our good Heavenly Father. He loves to hear us ask, but he also loves us too much just to give us what we ask. That's how we pray it. Now, in conclusion, the last question. Well, what is this bread? What is this bread? What is this prayer for bread ultimately pointing to? John says, Jesus says in John chapter 6, verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Verse 48. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for their life of the world is my flesh. In other words, what Jesus is saying is that he has come into this world not not mainly to give bread, but to be bread. Not mainly to give bread, but to be bread. Now, Jesus does care about physical bread, okay? He does care about your physical needs and all the things that you would ask for him in this life, but he doesn't mainly care for those things for you in this life. There is a day coming for all of that. There is a day coming for all that where there will be no more mourning, no more crying, no more death. There's a coming a day when there will be no more cancer, no more little kids going without food. There's coming a day when that depression will finally lift. There's coming a day when that temptation that's been plaguing you for years will finally be gone forever. That day is coming. There's coming a day when you'll receive your glorified bodies and you'll be young forever and you'll be beautiful forever. You'll be healthy forever. You'll be rich beyond comparison forever. That day is coming, but that's not the main point of this life now. The main point of this life Now is God orchestrating even the ugliest and the most painful things in this world to ensure, to make sure that we don't miss out on Jesus, the true bread of life. If God saying yes to that prayer would ultimately make you less dependent on Jesus, if God saying yes to that lesser bread that you've been asking for would cause you to miss out on the ultimate bread that is Jesus, he's just not going to do it. He loves you too much to do it. Jesus is the true bread of heaven. And if God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not along with him graciously give us all things? If God was willing to give you the true bread of heaven, as costly as it was, as painful as it was, surely he will give you all the other breads Surely he will give you all the other breads that is actually good for you and, and protect you, protect you and say no to all the lesser breads that would keep you from experiencing and receiving the true bread of heaven. 
we have a heavenly father. We have a good heavenly father that can be trusted. We can trust him. We can go to him. We can trust him with all of our requests. We can go to him with all sorts of asking. We can trust him with all of our requests and we can trust him with all of his answers. He is both powerful and he's wise. Let's pray together. Father, Father, let us never be able to get over the fact that we can approach you and call you Father. As a good heavenly Father, you love to hear from your children. Even now, you're bending your ear down to us and you hear us and you care for us and you want to hear all the things that we have to say. So, Father, as little children, we approach you. We come to you with all sorts of things. We come to you with all sorts of asking, but, Father, help us to see the beauty of who you are. Help us to never be able to get over this reality that we have a heavenly Father. We have a King who reigns. We have, we have a God whose name that needs to be hallowed and, and lifted high, that his kingdom is more beautiful and more glorious than any kingdom we would build for ourselves, that the desires of his heart are greater and better than anything that we would desire, that we would never cease to pray, Father, align the desires of our hearts with your heart. Help us to love the things that you love, Help us to care for the things that you care for. Help us to be brokenhearted over the things that you are broken for. And only then, only then when we see the beauty of who you are, only then when our perspectives are in line with your kingdom, Father, then help us to take hold of this powerful asking Father, help us to ask for things that move your heart. Help us to ask for things that would glorify your name. Help us to ask for things that would usher in your kingdom. And help us to ask for things that will truly satisfy us forever. Father, all the things of this world that we ask for, that we long for, we confess it won't lastingly make us happy. It won't lastingly satisfy. Only you know those things. So sometimes as foolish as our asking is, Lord, will you truly discern what we need and be our good heavenly father that we can trust with all of our asking and that we can trust with all of your answers. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.